Hey, everyone, and welcome to the State of the Art Podcast with me, your host, Ethan Appleby. I'm very excited to bring you along as I dive into conversations with amazing people who are at the intersection of art and technology. Each week, you'll hear a different angle about how tech is bringing radical change in the way all of us interact with art. We have on artists to first-time collectors, as well as CEOs from some of the top digital art companies. We'll also look at the effects social media sites and crowdsourcing platforms are having on the art world and explore how other creative industries, such as music and fashion, were democratized using technology. Before we get started, I want to tell all the artists listening about Bango. If you're like many of the artists I know, you spend more time managing your career than you do creating art. Bango helps you with this. To learn more, go to bangoart.co slash podcast. That's B-A-N-G-O dot co slash podcast. And if you're looking for original art, Bango is an amazing place to find art from some of the best emerging artists. Now, in this episode, I'm excited to welcome the CEO of FrameBridge, Susan Tynan. For those of you who have ever tried to buy a custom frame, you know how expensive and painful the process is. FrameBridge uses technology to make the experience easy and affordable. And while Susan is new to the framing industry, using technology to deliver a better experience is nothing new to her. She worked at an Uber competitor and living social because as a mother and a busy professional, note, she worked at the White House and has an MBA from Harvard, convenience has always been important to her. Today, I talked to Susan about why when launching a framing company, she felt she had to go big from the beginning, how the definition of art is changing, and what the most important advice she would give to an entrepreneur is. So please, allow me to welcome today's guest, Susan Tynan. Hi, Susan. It's great to have you on State of the Art. Thanks. I'm so excited to be here. You've worked at the White House at Living Social at an Uber competitor. I mean, you scaled businesses. Why framing? Like, why are you here? And, and were there any pivotal moments through that that uh, made you be like, this is, this is why I want to go into this business? Yeah, I am solving a problem for myself. Yeah. Truly. Yeah. I had uh, four National Parks posters I took to get framed. It was a really intimidating process. Yeah. They cost $400 each. And sort of the insight came not at that moment, but later when I thought, well, I'll just never do that again. Mm-hmm. And I kept running into things that I wanted to frame. Um, you know, I would see art at a flea market or on a trip and think, oh, that would be great. Oh, no, you cannot frame it. So as I went on, I had this idea for years in my career. And I was developing skills in consumer tech and thinking, well, how would I apply this? And almost sort of perplexed that nobody was doing it while I was dreaming it up. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, what then what was the time that finally you decided, okay, I'm going to jump into it? Yeah. So it it was a couple months long. I actually was at Living Social. uh, And at the time, I was managing all of the home services deals. So we were selling a lot of deals for frame stores and customers would be looking for value and would buy, you know, essentially a coupon for framing services, then would be really frustrated when they went to the frame store that it was still a couple hundred dollars over whatever they thought it would be. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, okay, there's definitely enough demand here. But I didn't do it. I then moved on to that Uber competitor, a taxi um, app. And while I was working there, I thought, well, look at all these smart people competing in this space. And I have this passion for this thing and nobody's competing in it. Why don't I finally do it? Yeah. And so then I just 
I just couldn't stop thinking about it and decided I had to build Braybridge. That's great. I mean, when you looked at that experience that people were having and, and going more through traditional framing shops, I mean, how does technology change how you're able to make the experience more enjoyable and solve you know, that the problem that you had? Yeah. Well, so I'm a believer in consumer technology that it can make things better. So I really believe from the beginning, we weren't going to sacrifice quality. We weren't going to sacrifice craftsmanship, but we could bring technology just to deliver the service better and less expensively. And so even things that should have been a barrier, we just didn't think would be like, could you easily visualize your art frames? Could you visualize it on the wall? Of course, we could build those things. Um, could you still interact with the designer? Of course you could, uh, just online. Mm -hmm. And I think also the notion of convenience is really important to me. I've been a busy professional. I'm also a working mom. So if I want beautiful things in my life, I need to be able to do them at, at my own time. And so that was certainly part of the solution we set out to build was something that didn't take two of your Saturdays. Yeah. Oh, I like that analogy. What, I mean, with these advancements you talked about, like augmented reality, and then you see like virtual reality and digital frames. I mean, where do you see framing going in the future? Yeah. It's interesting you say that because I think digital frames are cool, but I think they're, they're one part of, of uh, celebrating things that matter to you. And I think, uh, for a long time in the future, maybe forever, people will still want to hold on to the one moment. And that's the business we're in, is pulling down the one moment, the one thing that inspires you and celebrating that. And so as much as I, I believe in technology improving the delivery of this thing, um, custom framing, I, I do still believe that there will always be a place for custom framing one special thing, meaning... Yeah meaning not just a, a revolving um, collection of digital uh, images. Yeah. And there's something that people like about sort of analog, something you can touch. And it seems, you know, as we go more digital, there's also that idea of experiences and people seem to really enjoy having something that's on their wall that they can almost feel. So that's something we think is really neat about how we matter to customers is it's about living your life and experiences. I think sort of, there was an old notion of custom framing as sort of like dusty and um, and in the past. Um, and that's not how we view our service or what we provide to people. It's really about going out and enjoying yourself and living your life and and collecting these memories and then just pulling some down to, to reflect on and putting them on your wall. And so sort of the more interesting lives people lead, the more they travel, the more um, they see friends, the more then sort of the more they have to frame. Yeah. And I, I think that's fascinating because you in a way have a much broader and better picture of what people are putting on their walls than anyone else. Cause you know, some people are selling originals, some people are selling photos. You're seeing it all. I mean, what are, what are the trends? What are those moments that people are putting in? Are, are there things that you've seen more from, like an art perspective that you, that people are buying more of? So we'll definitely see these mini trends in art. Yeah. Um, there were, you know, we saw there was a sort of a neat series of um, sort of, it was like a, a modern image, but of a old photo of Jackie and JFK. And we just all of a sudden saw all of these coming in. We thought, that's so interesting. What's happening there? So sometimes we see things like that. But then also we see a lot of sort of important cultural moments happen. Yeah. So we frame a lot of Hamilton playbills. I'm seeing Hamilton this weekend. <laughs> oh, neat. Third time. Oh, excellent. I, yeah. That's amazing. I love it. 
but we really see also just sort of whatever significant to people. And we certainly see, I think we, after we first launched, we saw a lot of posters coming from a Grateful Dead reunion yeah. uh, tour. And we thought, okay, that's really interesting, but makes sense that that person would, would gravitate toward what we're doing. Yeah. Huh. I, lo- I love uh, like the, I love the, the examples of like Hamilton and these mini moments that you see. It's almost like you guys can be the predictors of what's what's going to sell. What um, I mean, how do you think about? There's a lot going on within art and tech. That's what this podcast is about. And in more traditional art, I mean, do you look at that space and see how that's changing? Um, and 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 how do you think that will continue to evolve and to make art more accessible? So I. I love that you said accessible because that's how I believe it's all part of this democratization. Yeah. Absolutely. And so I think um, it is inevitable. People are going to buy more and more online. And I think there's just a, anytime there's a belief that, that people won't with just the technology has to get better to give people yeah. to better understand the texture, to better understand, like, like the tools just have to get better to meet people where they want to be. I also think, Things will happen online and offline together. That's yeah. happening everywhere. Um, so those experiences that the online gallery to the offline, those will just, they will have to, to interact together. Um, and then I think sort of the, the most exciting thing of all of it is sort of where technology has gone in general, which is making more things accessible to more people. Yeah. Um, I mean, let's talk about this, this idea of online, offline. I mean, Apple does an amazing job of creating this experience within their store and that people go to, and then they're probably buying online and, and you see it in fashion. I mean, where do you see the future of, of galleries going in, in that, that intersection of online, offline within sort of the framing and art space? Well, I think people have to view, again, a successful experience is one that meets customers, clients, um, wherever they are. And so again, I think it's the, I I think we'll continue to see people going somewhere to experience something live and live together, Mm -hmm. but then needing to transact online due to just, you know, the busyness of our lives. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I mean, if you look back, some of the purists uh, in music, when the radio came out, we're afraid that people would stop going to live concerts. And obviously, like, when the iPod happened. And if you look at that, the trend was was quite the opposite, right? I mean, it was just that stepping stone to people actually, you know, finding more artists or musicians that they liked. Well, think about people being scared. What happens to an album? That there's yeah. really art in, in putting together an album. Yeah. Well, you know, if you really believe in art, you believe that art sort of breaks through and sort of can break through sort of the next technology delivery system that doesn't change art. Art can be, um, can be anything, can be, can adapt to however people are digesting it, ingesting it. Yeah. Yeah. And I I think the more people that are buying and the more people that have that accessibility because what online does, the more they will go to galleries um, and art shows and museums. Absolutely. In terms of market size, for sure. One of, um, our real stated goals at the beginning of Framebridge was we wanted people to be able to consume more art. We wanted every, people to be able to see something that they loved and know that framing wasn't going to get in the way of them enjoying it. And yeah. so I think um, other technology solutions and uh, are just new touch points to get more people in, which is, I think, I think the goal. That's the goal. Yeah. Now, For all of you artists listening who want to be able to market yourselves like you are the most famous artist, Vango can help. 
Vango makes the entrepreneurial side of being an artist easy, saving you hours each week from the marketing and admin tasks so that you can focus on creating. In a way, Vango is like your virtual assistant or manager, and their killer feature is the ability to manage all of your online portfolios and storefronts in one place. They also create a website for you, show you who your collectors are, provide insights into what is selling, and they'll even help with your taxes. So if you're an artist who wants to spend time doing what you love, go to vangoart.co slash podcast to learn more. That's V-A-N-G-O-A-R-T dot co slash podcast. And now back to the episode. So I, I saw you recently on an interview on MSNBC. And you said how to be a successful entrepreneur, you need to listen and to people, you need to build off the feedback that you get and not listen to the people who tell you not to pursue that idea. In the art space, I think it's, you know, there, it hasn't taken off maybe as quickly as some people would have thought. I think we're getting close to that happening. I mean, is there anything else that you would tell specifically to people in the art and tech industry or just generally uh, to keep working at or trying different things? Yeah, I yeah, I guess the advice really is sort of the same. If anyone believes there will not continue to be an intersection of art and technology, well, yeah. I I think that's incorrect. I think you have to if you believe in it, um, you have to keep iterating on exactly what works for people, what works for the artists themselves, what works for customers. Um, but but I think you can't be dissuaded by people saying that'll never happen or what people love to say is these are the, you know, 25 people who tried it and failed. That's something people love to tell you. And yeah. you definitely have to tune that out. And that's something you see right now, you know, from VCs within the art and tech space. Because there there are a lot of gravestones out there. And, and I think in part that's because the technology just wasn't ready yet. Yeah. But, you know, in a lot of other sectors, we saw it, um, you know, there there. You know, there's pets.com, there's Webvan. There were early iterations of a lot of online solutions that have ultimately worked today. Yeah. Again, I think to say that anything won't have a major um, technical technology a, a component to it is short sighted. Yeah. What, and, I, and I like that. And one of the things that also, when you built Framebridge, you know, I understand that you really built it to scale. And it, I mean, can you tell us a little bit more about that and what yeah, that meant? Yeah, it was a little bit nervy. Um, and I joke in the, you know, in startup language, everybody um, talks about the lean startup is really what you're supposed to do, which is really test your way into an idea. Um, I really believe this was a big idea. And I believed that in order for people to really experience Framebridge and, you know, roll up their art and mail it to us, it had to look good. The site had to be friction-free, beautiful, the packaging had to be well-designed, just sort of everything had to work or we wouldn't even be able to test the concept. And so we really did sort of build it all up front um, and build our own production. So we, from the very first frame to to now hundreds of thousands of frames later, we built every frame, our team. um, And that's been essential. One... um, at getting to know our customers and delivering a high quality yeah. experience. Um, but yeah, it's in hindsight, I think it's kind of gutsy. Yeah. I, li- <laughs> I like gutsy. I mean, what is, is that something that you think is unique to framing or to art? I mean, why, why do you, why do you think you felt that way? I think that might be unique to framing. We really wanted, um, because I think, look, in art, certainly 
the notion of a tailored curated experience is um is important and i think there will be solutions i do I personally, I don't know that Amazon eats the art world, you yeah. know, is the answer. Like I believe oh, they, they they're trying to fail so far. Yes. Yeah. So I do think um, there are probably much smaller, um, successful models there. I think for what we were trying to do, we were trying to come in um, with just a high quality, higher quality service for a much lower price and much shorter time. And so that felt like we just had to do it yeah. bigger. Yeah. I mean, you know, what, what I've seen is, you know, artists are often perfectionists and so they hold you to a higher standard. And because art is so aesthetic and, uh, and visual, it does require, you know, platforms in the space, I think, to be held to a higher standard, which in your case, I think worked well. I think in others, it creates challenges because they go too far without maybe solving a need that that's really out there. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting perspective, but it's true in terms of the problem <laughs> we're solving. Obviously, you know, preservation is one aspect of what framing does but yeah. but also just enhancing the aesthetic beauty of the thing is what what we're doing in framing so i always do say that like there's nothing no touch point with us that can be sort of unattractive or undesigned because yeah. we're not we have to be proving ourselves that we're we're people you would trust to make whatever your piece is even better yeah i mean in my experience using framebridge the thing that i it it, it enhances both the you know the sort of apple experience where you get this beautifully packaged uh, you know, frame, you take it out. It's like, it's ready to hang. So just that piece of it, you know, versus sometimes you'll order things from an artist and it'll come in a sort of, you know, hodgepodge of packaging is a nice way to put it, you know, and then when you put it up, I mean, it really does enhance the overall experience that you have with it, that other people have with it. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting because it is all about, you know, I think with art and tech and, and this, how do you improve and enhance the experience as well as make it more accessible. Well, that's right. And we think about that a lot too, is not paving over the exact same way it was done. And so that was something tried to be really thoughtful about. And certainly when you see um, what our product roadmap looks like, it is about um, serving customers best way we can, but not replicating a frame store experience online. Yeah. Um, so an example of that is it's very hard to choose a, a matte shade in general and then online it's it's it can be even more challenging so but we have a team of designers so you choose white or off-white and our team is matching that against 10 shades to your actual piece when your piece comes in yeah so we wanted to keep the craftsmanship the artistry while eliminating the the um sort of the challenge or the burden on, on the consumer. Yeah. And I think that's a, that is a great example of, of keeping in the human touch and, you know, just enhancing their ability. Like you said, almost making the rest of the annoying stuff more efficient so that they can focus on that element. Cause you know, I, I often look at uh, stitch fix and what they do and, and it's amazing the fashion industry and they have not gotten rid of the designer or the, the stylist. They just make their job almost easier so that they can spend more time on what really matters. I, obviously view them as an inspiration. And I think it's, it's really interesting, at least in the foreseeable future, that's where we, it's like tech enabled design services, yeah. but, but absolutely our human design team is, you know, noticing um, the, the interesting edge of your art and suggesting you float mount it. That's a person with a, with a design eye and we need that. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, you know, you may want to make a modification to your order and you want to do that at midnight online and we have to enable you to do that. Yeah. Uh, that's great. I mean, thinking down that line, are there any other companies sort of in the 
ecosystem of art and tech or or outside that that excite you that you think are really interesting that that combine that sort of personal touches tech enabled yeah that's interesting i think truthfully i i have been looking really sort of outside of art and tech at just like people who become experts in their domain mm -hmm. which is you know um and I'm just interested in that, like Instacart needs to know the substitute for every shredded cheese I choose. Yeah. And, and, you know, like that's the business they're in. And so I guess I'm very uh, motivated by that because we've chosen to make the business we're in custom framing. Like this is our business. And I think often because we're venture backed, people are saying, well, what next? Yeah. And what's next for us is becoming just the best at custom framing. So there's no, you know, I think it's really like, and using technology to, to, to build some of those tools, but really to be um, just sort of a better experience than anyone could have dreamed in this exact category. I like that. It's a great way to end this. No, and I, I think, I mean, you're absolutely right. And, and I like the idea that you look outside of the space. Cause I think that's often, it's these analogous spaces that we can learn from and how they approach something to how, you know, you can pull it in like fashion, music, and groceries. Um, all right. So before I let you go, can we jump into a quick rapid fire? Sure. All right. Did Obama use Framebridge to redecorate the White House <laughs> when he when he added R2 in 2011? Um, no. Wait, um, I, it, it, Framebridge came after Obama, but um, we have seen some pretty cool people. Like we know Ruth Bader Ginsburg has some Framebridge items. She's gifted them. So we do know um, there are some cool, influential people who have celebrated key moments with us. All right. These, these get a little bit harder here. How many championships will LeBron win? Oh, oh, this year. One more. One more? Oh, one more with the Cavs. Sorry. Okay. One more with the Cavs and then two with LA. Okay. There you go. What's your guilty pleasure? Oh, television. Yeah. Um, I laugh because everybody who's in any way, in art or tech, if you're um, at all interesting, you say... Um, I don't have time for TV. And I'm yeah. always like, oh, yeah, I make time. Yeah. All right. I like it. What's your favorite superhero and why? So Batman, um, obviously, he does good work. But I get sort of the brooding motivation. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. All right. Last one. What's your either life motto or favorite Sia lyric? Oh, great questions. Um, so, uh, well, I mean all Sia lyrics are like my life motto, but I think, but I do have a favorite life motto, um, which is you always have a little more. And I know that's ridiculous, but I think in the entrepreneurial journey, you get beaten down so much that you just need a mantra to keep you going. And to know that like uh, energy, you can regenerate energy. Like it's up to you to build yourself up and keep going. Beautiful. Susan, it's been a pleasure having you on. The first Wahoo, thank you so much. Thanks so much. So don't forget to visit Framebridge at framebridge.com or on Twitter at Framebridge. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please rate and review it. Leaving a review is super easy and it helps listeners like you discover the podcast. Oh yeah, and don't forget to check us out at State of the Art on Twitter for behind the scenes photos, a sneak peek to next week's episode and really cool art videos you're gonna wanna show your friends. Thanks again to Van Gogh for sponsoring this episode and to all of you for listening. Remember, if you're an artist looking to create more or a buyer wanting to enrich your home with original art, visit vangoart.co slash podcast and save 30%.